If you would open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's pray. Father, in the midst of the times that we live in, where there are so many distractions, so many things that cause us to focus on, whether it's uh, medical issues, political issues, all the issues that are kind of connected to those things, it's easy, Father, for us to, not that we forget who we are, and it's not that we forget who you are, but Father, we often, and maybe even easily, put you kind of on the back burner. And we don't always seek to look at things through the prism of your word. And Father, we ask that you would help us to correct that. We pray, Lord, that you would remind us that we are Christians first and foremost, that there is a Christian way to think, and there is a Christian approach to all these matters that have gained our attention. Father, we pray that you would help us to continue to grow as believers, to mature as Christians. That, Father, we may climb above the fray, that we may be able to speak clearly through the real and most important issues that we face as individuals and as as a race of people. We thank you, Father, for preserving your word for us. And Father, it is to your word that we turn to seek wisdom. And so we ask, Father, you bless our time. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Beginning in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we are many, because we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I mentioned a couple weeks ago the main thought that I want us to think about as we look at this passage, and I believe it will come more into focus today, and that is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we must aim to become imitators of Christ in everything that we do. That's how we are to think, that's how we are to live as Christians. Our testimony to our relationship to Christ should trump our rights as believers and it should also lead to a rejection of various contexts that may hamper this testimony. And I think that we live in a day and age when all of this will apply immediately to the situations that we find ourselves to. It is true, as we look at this passage, 
that an idol is nothing, but the ultimate reality behind pagan religion is demonic, and he makes that clear. Pagan sacrifices were offered to demons and not to God. Those who are the temple of God, which again are individual believers, should shun the temple of idols. Again, there's no magical contamination that he's talking about here or that is conveyed. But again, there's the ability to corrupt the character of the participants. And so again, remember that there's two, two things we want to keep clear. Number one, there was the question that was raised. If you go to the marketplace and you want to buy meat that has been offered to idols, uh, can you with a clear conscience do that? And I believe that Paul makes it clear that that's just, that's just not a thing. And you can do that even though there will be weak believers who will still have a problem with that, somehow thinking uh, that maybe they're kind of supporting the pagan temple or maybe somehow they are participating in the worship of a pagan deity and they're not going to be able to partake. And, and we should not mock them for that and we should not try to force them to our side of things. But as they mature, we believe they'll come around. The other issue that is raised is uh, the issue of actually going to maybe a pagan temple or going to a particular celebration that is a religious festival and participating in that. Can a believer do that? And I, I believe the answer is no, a believer cannot do that. Even though a pagan religion or a pagan idol is nothing and you're not really worshiping a God because that God does not really exist, Again, there is the uh, ability of this atmosphere of these individuals to corrupt the individual believer. And we'll see more of that in a few moments as we continue to work our way down here. Now, there's nothing in and of itself in the festival, so to speak, that's going to magically contaminate the believer. Uh, but the issue, I believe, has to do with one of fellowship, uh, being with those individuals and what that will bring about. And that can be harmful to us. So again, being part participants with demons really would be unthinkable for those who are participants with Christ. And that word participant, again, is important. And he brings up the idea of you and I partaking of the Lord's Supper when we take of the bread and we take of the cup. And again, one of the main things about that is that we are symbolically identifying with Christ and all that Christ has done. What he did, he did on our behalf. Uh, when he died, we died. Uh, when he was punished for our sin, we were punished for our sin in him. When he was buried, we were buried. When he rose again, we rose again. And so that's, that's the identification that we have with Christ. That's the identity we have as believers. But if you look at verses 23 and 24 of chapter 10, Paul then says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So he's basically getting into, and he's been dealing with this, and that's the idea of our freedom that we have as believers. We know that as believers, we're not given a list of, of rules, of do's and don'ts, though we do follow the law of Christ. And there's a very large number of imperatives that are given in the scripture. We don't have a list of things such as this is what you should wear. This is how long or short your hair should be. These are the kind of cosmetic products you may be allowed or not allowed to wear. Uh, this is the kind of jewelry that's acceptable. This is the kind of jewelry that's not. We don't have all of that. All right. Well, there's a lot of freedom and there are individuals who may wear certain things and they have the freedom to do that. And it kind of goes on from there. So the principle of freedom, which is that everything is permissible, 
is to be regulated by love, and it's a love for others. And the love he's speaking about here, again, is not, has nothing to do with our emotions. It has to do with our commitment to what is best for other people. He, what he continues to develop here is the impact uh, that we have on each other, the influence that we have on each other, and we are to take that very seriously. We're, we're not allowed as believers, and this is not given to us in the scripture, where we're allowed to downplay our own influence on others, because that's what we sometimes do in trying to find a way to justify maybe something we're doing that's sinful is saying, well, but I'm really unimportant. I really don't influence anybody. It's not like I'm the pastor, or it's not like I'm a deacon, or whatever the, whatever the term is that you want to put in the blank. And so by thinking that way, we then somehow make it easier for us or excuse our own sinful pursuits. And so we're not allowed to do that as believers. We have an impact on each other. That is the idea of our being the family of God. It is not only that we are here to help each other when we are in time of need, though, and we are to do that, but there's also this, this connectedness that we, that, we, that we have. And as a result of that, there is a natural influence that we have on each other. Some of it, it may be more obvious than at other times, but there is that influence, and we are to take that influence very seriously, beginning with the influence that we have on others. Not that we should become big-headed about it, not that we should somehow think, uh, that we can control people or manipulate people. It's not that at all, but that as we live our lives, our lives are then going, should be regulated, not by whether or not other people like us, because that's not what the intent here is, but because we have love for others, because we want to make sure that we are living our lives in such a way that our life will always be of a benefit to other people. So our, our, the principle of freedom then that he's speaking about is to be relegated by our love for others. So various activities that are not beneficial or constructive or that do not promote the good of others should be avoided. That's one of the general principles he's giving us here. So again, what we should not be doing is trying to claim our individual rights. Those who are strong believers should be asking themselves whether their actions are advantageous and bring unity to the community of believers. And again, when, when the Bible speaks of unity, it's not the idea that we're just getting along. It, it's not that shallow. The unity of believers is that we are united in our purpose for living life. We are united in our purpose for uh, trying to help each other. The idea that we want to glorify the Lord in all that we do individually and collectively, we want to encourage each other to do that. We, we do want to pursue what we, what's going to bring us our greatest happiness and our greatest good, which is going to be pursuing God. And, that, you know, and, and we need to be trying to uh, help each other along that way. So if we focus then on our personal liberty, then it's going to skew the message we have concerning Christ. We should be concentrating again on the needs of others. So looking then at verses 25 and 26 of chapter 10, he then says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So it's a very simple thing. You're invited to someone's, ho someone's house to eat. They serve you meat. You just don't ask any questions. Just eat whatever's given to you and just kind of go your way. All right, that's, just, that's really what he's getting at because it's not a thing. All right, but then he says in verse 27, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner 
and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. So let me stop there. So what appears to be going on here, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but what appears to be going on here is that you're invited to an unbeliever's home. They're serving meat and there's, there's a weaker brother that is there. And the weaker brother knows that this meat that you're being served was sacrificed to an idol and he's brought it up. So because he's brought it up, the assumption here is that he's got a problem with it. And so he tells, so Paul's advice is, then don't eat it. Just let it go, don't eat it. He doesn't say make a big deal out of it, just don't eat it. For the sake of the conscience of who? The weak brother. Because he says in verse 29, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So again, Paul's already warned against a believer publicly participating in pagan feast. That was over in chapter 8. Now here he's dealing with a private meal. So a knowledgeable Christian does not need to alter his convictions to accord with the conscience of a weak brother, but he does need to alter his behavior when in the weaker brother's presence. That's, what's, that's the principle that's being stated here. All right, so once again, if you are a growing, mature believer, or at least you have the knowledge and you understand what's going on here, you do not have to alter your convictions because what, of what a weaker or a newer believer in Christ is thinking or feeling. You don't change that. You hold on to what you believe in. But when you're in his presence, so you're not being phony, you're just, you're, you're basically just, you're living your life and you want to be helpful to him. And so you're not going to push the issue by flaunting your freedom in front of your weaker brother. You just, so basically, if you want to eat meat sacrificed to an idol, you can do that at home. But when you're with, if you're in his presence, you don't do that because he's not ready yet for that. You don't want that to become the issue. The issue is, is he needs to continue to grow in Christ. You don't want to become a, a, a stumbling block, meaning that you're causing him to stumble in his faith. Now, here's what's important about this, because he's clearly talking about a weaker brother. So then... Let's say, just for the sake of argument, that um, I really enjoy T-bone steaks, and the best T-bone steaks have been offered to the goddess Venus. And so I can get them for a dollar a pound. And let's say that Tim says to me, Bob, we can't eat that. It was offered to idols. And I would say, Tim... You're not a new believer, right? He's not a weak believer. So this is not giving anyone the right to try to manipulate the behavior of others by stating, oh, well, my conviction is, is that eating meat offered to idols is wrong. What we have to do is evaluate where that individual is. And so if Tim is the one that, is having, that, that states he's having the difficulty, I'm going to eat my T-bone. I'm not going to worry about it. However, let's say that Cole has been a believer for only a year. And he's got some issues with it. And I'm, and I'm going to invite him to my house for dinner. I'm not serving T-bone. 
right? That's going to stay in the freezer, and we're going to have something else. Because I don't want him to get hung up on that issue. That's, that's, that's what we have to kind of work through here when, when it comes to what he's talking about. Because there have been cases in churches where sometimes individuals will try to uh, manipulate others either by, and again, they're not saying it this way, but I would say by pretending that they're a weak brother. But, but clearly it's the weaker brother that is having the difficulty here, and the goal is for all of us to grow into mature as believers. But this is not giving a, a power, uh, it's not a power card to be played to try to be, allow the church or cause the church to become, let's say, legalistic uh, in its approach to life. So, the, so again, our freedom really is remaining intact but the way that we exercise our freedom among each other as believers, uh, we're given these guidelines here. So again, as believers, we are responsible to glorify God in all things. We cannot glorify God by causing another Christian to stumble. Again, let me just throw this out there. Normally, and maybe always, when the word stumble is used in relationship, in the New Testament, it's used in relationship to another a believer in Christ causing the stumble, it does not mean to make them sin. It's a much, it's a much stronger idea than that. Here the idea is that whatever you are doing then doesn't, doesn't then mean that they're going to go ahead and let's say eat the T-bone and sin. The idea is that it's going to cause them to stumble in their faith. It's going to cause them to begin to doubt who Christ is, what Christ has done, and what Christ has accomplished. So going back then to my illustration, I am fully confident that I can eat T-bone steaks offered to Venus in the presence of Tim because I just don't think Tim's going to be stumbling in his faith because I eat T-bone. But again, I do think if I don't know Cole that well or Cole's still a new believer, I don't want him to stumble in his faith because I'm eating this T-bone. Well, maybe we can have the T-bone in a few years after he grows. But that's kind of the idea here. Uh, so again, I'm not being phony because if Cole was to ask me, I would say, absolutely, I eat, uh, I eat that. I would be able to explain why. But again, I'm not going to flaunt that in front of him uh, at this time. So again, we want to make sure that we are responsible as believers. We take it on as responsibility to glorify God in all that we do. And we cannot glorify God if we're causing another Christian to stumble. So again, our own conscience may be strong enough for us to participate in certain activities and not be harmed. But again, we don't want to use our freedom in Christ in any way that would injure a fellow Christian. So verses 31 and through 33, Paul writes, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything, I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So there's a little more for us to say here by way of application, uh, because we're not just only speaking of idol worship. I want to get to the application of how we are to kind of use this to help us today in just a moment. But we want to make sure that we recognize this. That as we look at what Paul is talking about here, we want to think about these things in the terms of a, a plethora of social, business, or political events that sometimes and maybe often call for compromises when it comes to the message of Christ. So I, as I said earlier in the beginning of the message, a lot of this is based on what takes place 
when you participate in a pagan festival or if you participate in maybe one of these other things we've talked about, whether it's some kind of a social gathering, a business gathering, or maybe a political event. And that is the term koinonia. That's the Greek word for the word fellowship. Uh, the word fellowship here, it, it's basically speaking of a significant participation. So when we talk about having fellowship as believers, even as we worship right now, and I'm really the only one talking, we are experiencing and we are manifesting fellowship. There is significant participation going on here because what all of us are doing at this time is looking at the Bible. We're looking at the Word of God and we're thinking about what God is saying. What is Paul communicating to us and how am I to understand this and how am I to apply this? That is significant and we're doing that together. When we, so whether you and I as a church gather for a social event or some combination of, of a social thing and, and looking at the Bible, the idea is that it's, it's a significant um, event for us always uh, as we participate as God's family. So then when it comes to koinonia, we also need to remember this, that the word also intimates that people who have joined the financial, who have joined the financial, their financial fate in a common business venture are said to have fellowship. So if you have a business partner, you have fellowship. There's, a, there's significant participation in what's going on there. People who, peoples whose lives are joined, obviously, by marriage have this kind of fellowship. They become one. So again, uh, and they are to have fellowship. That, that's the significant participation. The warning here is you cannot worship God while having fellowship with another God. Koinonia, or fellowship and worship, always go hand in hand. So keep this in mind, that the claim that something is legal or that something is permissible does not make it right. So the clarifying question then that Paul has given us is, whatever it is that we're going to do or get involved in, does it contribute to or hinder the strengthening and the edification of Christ's community, whether as a whole or an individual? In other words, if we make whatever is permissible uh, our guideline, that is not a helpful guide for other Christians. It's not a helpful guide for our own Christian behavior. Because what it does is it makes possible to disconnect Christian doctrine from Christian living. Remember that we are always Christians. I, I always belong to God. I'm always in a, in a position of being a child of God and then everything that I do and the way that I do things and everything I think, I am a Christian, I, I belong to him. So for Paul then, it seems that the litmus test for being a Christian is not simply a matter of adherence to various truth statements about salvation through Christ. Paul's issue here is some were claiming a truth about their freedom while disregarding their responsibility to Christ's community. And you see that woven throughout the New Testament. We also see that woven, I believe, throughout the Old Testament. That when an individual claims to be a true believer in God, when they claim to be a Christian, even though what we believe about God is paramount and is important, it's never by itself. It's always accompanied by behavior and by decisions that coincide with that belief. That, that our belief in the doctrine or the truth of the word of God is going to be seen in the way that we treat each other and the way we live. We're not going to do that perfectly. I would say at least should be seen in the changing of our behavior, our willingness to change our thinking about things because I'm a Christian and I belong to God. 
So if you would for a moment, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to look at verse 4. Paul writes to Timothy and says this. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So the idea here, Paul is using as an illustration a soldier, a soldier whether he's drafted or he voluntarily joins uh, the service. The bottom line is, is that he must follow the orders of his, of his superiors. That, that's it. He, he, he's, he no longer is pursuing what he wants. He's pursuing what they want. That's, that's how that works. The word entangled here uh, simply means what it sounds like it means. It means to uh, implicate or to braid in. The idea is, is to use metaphorically to involve becoming entangled or woven together. And so here the idea is that we don't become woven together in civilian pursuits because our aim is to please the one who enlisted us. So there is a point of tension here that's important for us as believers. And that point of tension uh, will always exist for us as believers. Now, this isn't a biblical phrase, but you may have heard this. Uh, sometimes we may describe an individual as being so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. But at least we don't want to be so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. But there is that tension between everything that we do in this life matters and is important, but also the truth that this life is not all there is, it's not the ultimate, it's the life after this life. It's the word we're going to live in with Christ. So how then do we live this life? We can't just disregard this life. We can never say that this life is unimportant. The bottom line is, is that we need to make sure that we're making right decisions for God and that we glorify the Lord. So then taking what we looked at 1 Corinthians 10 and taking what we see here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we live right now, today, at a time in our culture where there's a, just a, a great number of things we can disagree on. And we can disagree on very strongly. You may have a particular stance on Black Lives Matter. You may have a particular stance on the actions of those who belong to some Antifa group or Antifa or whatever they're called. You may have also some very specific and strong views about uh, how our governments responded to the whole COVID thing. And we can be all over the map when it comes to that. So then when it comes to those things and being a Christian, how do we live then in this world? How can we discuss those things? Can we talk about those things and still remain Christian? Which I, I think we can, but here's what we have to be careful of. Number one, when it comes to what is it with the political things in general, because a, a lot of us have problems with this anyway. When it comes to the political things, what we have to be careful of is this. Obviously, you and I are allowed to have whatever convictions we want to have concerning any political issue. And we can hold them very strongly. But we have to be careful, number one, who we hang out with as far as let's say let's say there's some group that agrees with us or that we find, that we like that agrees with what, our stance on politics and you want to get involved in that group what you have to be careful of is the kind of fellowship you have in that group because you don't want that fellowship in that group to what to corrupt your character as a christian 
It doesn't mean that if you join some political activist group that's going to turn you into a murderer or to an anarchist or whatever the case may happen to be. But it may be simply nothing more than they begin to turn your eyes off the Lord. They begin to cause you to alter what you believe is most important. It may begin to cause you to begin to believe that Christ is not the ultimate answer or that Christ is just kind of can be included in with a certain kind of agenda. And what we need to recognize as Christians is the singular, and I do believe that's correct, the singular problem that we have in our country is rebellion against God because it's manifested in all the ways that we see. And until man is redeemed and he is in Christ, those issues and problems will never be solved. They may be lessened, they may be weakened, but they will always be with us, always. Because we're people and we're living in sinful flesh in a world cursed by sin. So this is what we have to be careful of. We want to make sure then, and we have to, it's, it can be hard, we make mistakes, that when we communicate with others, and let's say we agree on certain things politically, we want to make sure that that individual, at least somehow, try to make sure that they are not thinking that we think that whatever the political agreement is, is the answer. We may be on the same page, and I may believe that certain actions would be helpful, but I do not believe they resolve the problems. I don't. I might be able to come up with a list, I doubt that I can, but I might be able to come up with a list of 12 things that we could do as a country that would resolve the issues of, of race and resolve the issues of the whole thing about the police and all of that. Uh, and I might have that list. And that list may be, might be incredibly helpful. But I don't for a minute think that's going to solve the problem. First of all, I've worked in jail way too long to believe that. But I've also read my Bible. And what you find man doing today, he's been doing it since the book of Genesis. I did, you know that, that whole little eight block area they got sanctioned off in Seattle? And it's similar to what we have in Genesis with the Tower of Babel. They're just not building anything there. But the idea is that man on his own can accomplish anything. Everybody's answer is the same. And so we need to make sure that we try to figure this thing out. And I can't give you easy answers. There's, there are, there's no easy answers to this. How you communicate these things and whatnot. But we want to make sure that we always keep clear to us that what we do and what we say, even what you and I say politically, that in the end, that we want it to be, we want others to at least at some point understand that what we believe the real answer is going to be and that it's going to be beneficial for individual believers. There are no 15-second sound bites that can correct anything. No 30-second sound bites. It doesn't mean that every single statement that you put on social media has to be somehow biblical. But you want to make sure that if people look at a collection of what you post, if they look at 10 of them, 
that somehow they get the idea that you are a believer and you believe Christ is the answer. Maybe it should be 12. I don't know if 10 is the magic number. Maybe it should be five. I don't know. But too often what happens is, is that we too easily allow ourselves to be identified solely on our stance and then fill in the blank. We need to make sure we're not sucked into the world by the world. We need to make sure that we have control of our emotions as believers. And the the way we do that is not by just exercising greater control of ourselves, but by thinking through the prism of what the Word of God says. By looking at what Paul says here and making sure that we recognize those things that are utmost and true. So then as believers, we need to recognize our own personal weaknesses and take that into consideration before we, let's say, put anything on social media or whoever it is that we may be talking to in person. We also want to make sure that we recognize that our fellowship cannot be and should not be separated from worship. And that's a, that's a tough one because that really challenges the way we think about the groups that we identify with. Again, those things that are lawful means we're, what we're allowed to do should never be confused with what is helpful. So I can say as a Christian, I'm allowed to believe whatever I want to believe politically. Yes, I am. But is it helpful? And then lastly, the life of Christ, the life of Christ in us, the life of Christ that he lived should never be separated from the testimony about Christ. And that is my responsibility. Notice the paradigm that Paul ends with in verse 33. And he says this, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. And so when it comes to this mess that we're in and all the opinions that are out there, what we should be thinking, at least one of the things we should be thinking about is, does that individual know Jesus Christ? Remember that when Paul was writing all of this, he he identified basically three groups, unsaved Jews, unsaved Gentiles or Greeks, and the weak believers. Those were the ones he was concerned about. Here as he ends, his paradigm or his, his controlling thought and goal is he wants to make his decisions in such a way so that nothing he does or say will hinder them coming and believing in Christ and what he has done. Because that has always been and will always be the only answer for man individually and for man collectively. And that is the message that God has given to us to live out and to declare. We can even use the word preach, if you will. We are to be doing that wherever we go. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we bow before you this morning, we know, Lord, that all of us find ourselves in varying degrees in great difficulty when it comes to trying to make sense of the world in which we live in, and then maybe even a greater degree of difficulty in trying to communicate clearly in this climate that we live in. Father, we live in a time when many, it seems, don't really want to hear nothing more than just slogans or cliches. And trying to find an audience who's willing to listen, trying to find those who are willing to engage in actual conversation can be difficult. Father, I pray that you remind us that on one hand, it may not be that difficult because we can pray to the God of heaven and earth and we can ask you to intervene and ask that you would bring into our, into our midst, that you would guide us into conversations 
that we would have with those who are willing to talk. And that, Father, you would give us wisdom to be able to explain to them clearly what is at the root of all these difficulties that we face in our country. Father, many of us, and maybe it's all of us, but many of us have perhaps extremely strong views about some of these things. I know, Lord, that I do. And Lord, there is a, a, a constant tug of war in my heart. Knowing, Lord, there are times that I should be quiet on those issues and not speak of them. Being willing to give up my right because, Father, I don't want to do anything that's going to hinder the message of Christ. Oh, Father, how hard it is to bite our tongue, especially when we're convinced that we're right. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to always be clearly committed to the ultimate truth of you and your word. Father, I pray that for any here today, if we find that we have fallen short and we have maybe momentarily been caught up in things in the wrong way, we ask, Lord, that you would forgive us. We ask that you would help us to seek forgiveness of others and maybe even use our asking their forgiveness as a platform to explain to them why we're asking for their forgiveness because it has clouded the most important message there is. We pray, Lord, that you would cause these things to burn deeply in our hearts and minds and that we would think about them a great deal throughout the week. And I ask that you would guide us by your spirit through your word into wisdom. We thank you. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.